Good evening. Welcome to Mavens of Misdeeds. I'm Jen. And I'm Megan. Join us as we discuss all things spooktastic and engage in some tomfoolery. But first, our extrovert juice. Welcome, everyone. We have a very special episode. It'll be our first, yes, mm-hmm. first interview that we have done. So we we wanted to do this for a very long time and specifically with someone like our guest. So we are just super excited. So I want to introduce Christy with Soul Sisters Paranormal and To give you a little bit of a a rundown, Soul Sisters, you're based in Florida, right? Correct. Correct. And they started in 2014 formally. And now uh, Christy and her twin sister, which I think is so cool, they are now the primary investigators for the team. You guys travel around, well, all around Florida, but also around the country conducting investigations. Awesome. And is there anything else that that you want to add? Actually, that that's a pretty good intro. As, as you said, we, we're an all-female paranormal investigation team. We started out in 2014, and uh, it was actually myself, my twin sister, our younger sister, and then two female family friends. And we started as essentially a girls' trip. We had the opportunity to spend the night in the West Virginia State Penitentiary one wow. evening. And um, so we left that experience with what we felt was very compelling paranormal evidence, such as footsteps running at us in the dark when we knew that there was nobody there. Um, men's voices when we're an all-female team, doors slamming and such. And so after that, we really decided to formalize the team officially. We came up with the name Soul Sisters Paranormal. We got our uh, our logo, our theme music, and all of that. And we just traveled the country now to haunted and historic locations, really documenting the history of those locations, because that's what is our primary focus. And then secondary is the paranormal investigation to see if we can couple the history with any paranormal activity. And that is why I was so excited to to get to meet you because the the historical aspect is by far you know that that's my jam. I am paranormal, my jam. Okay, they well, yeah. perfect. So it was I'm, a great interview. I am always you know wanting to know. I, I would like to have a name. You know, what's the history? What who do we think this could be? You know, haunting a location. And so yeah, so that's definitely our two two loves here. So. <laughs> It, and it is, it, it is really a fascinating endeavor to be a part of because, you know, we get to really have this tactile experience with these historic locations, right? That not a lot of people get to enjoy. So we get to, you know, put, put our hands on the doorknobs of the Lizzie Borden house or walk up the stairs of the St. Augustine lighthouse and, or Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary and oh, yeah. stay the night in these, these really historic locations, obviously historical for various reasons, but, but to, to stay the night in there and just have that different experience that, that more so than most people get to have is, is truly unique. And it's one of the things that, that really drives us behind what we do and, and what we really, again, truly enjoy doing. So walk us through sort of you, you find a place that you want to investigate. What's your, your first step? Is it the research first of the history 
Absolutely. So the first thing that we do is we'll we'll go in and actually do a deep dive into the historical research. You know, we spend a lot of time in, in libraries and archives, online researching newspapers and all of that to really find out why the place is historic and some background information behind that. And then we use that to guide our investigation. So we'll formulate questions. If there's any significant historical figure that is said to, to be there or had one time been associated with that location, then we'll use that to guide our questions, you know, we'll get some more research on that individual. And then after the research, we'll go in and we'll take a day tour of the location. So we want to look at the place in the daylight to, for, for a couple of reasons. The first thing that we want to do is we, when we do an investigation, we want to rule out anything that we possibly can that's an environmental factor, such as, you know, street noise, dogs in the neighborhoods, kids in the neighborhoods, oh, airplane sure. traffic, train traffic, anything that when we go in and we hear something similar to that, we can say, no, that's not paranormal. That's completely normal for this location. So we'll go in and do a day tour and look for all of those environmental factors that that we can control for during the night. And then we also look at uh, places that we can leave what we call our stationary equipment the night of the investigation. So stationary night vision video cameras, stationary voice recorders, different pieces of electronic equipment that we can leave in these locations. And that really cuts down on our, our, um, our setup time during the actual investigation. So then after the day tour, we'll go and we'll, we'll really kind of formulate a plan for what we want to do the night of the investigation. Then we'll go in the night of the investigation. We'll set up all of the cameras. We'll divide and conquer about where we want to set up all of that equipment. And then we go into the investigation. You know, we'll sit and we'll ask questions. We uh, we have various handheld pieces of equipment that we'll take with us to get different readings. And really, we just go through the night asking questions and see if we can come up with any type of responses, either audio in the moment or stuff that we capture um, on those stationary pieces of equipment. Later, right. Mm-hmm. So do you find, or, or maybe it's like, if you have a name of somebody that you think, does it ever seem like maybe you get a better response if you can kind of call someone out by name, you know, you know John, are you here or that kind of thing? Absolutely. So for example, when we went to the Villisca Axe Murder House, you know, the chances are that we're going to be speaking to members of the Moore family. The Moore family was the family that was killed in 1912. It is still an unsolved murder. Nobody knows who went in and, and really hacked this family to death, along with two kids that were staying the night there. And so when we went in, we used those names, obviously, extensively. It was Sarah Moore. Are you here? And when we when we do that, to your point, we absolutely get a better response if that spirit is willing to communicate. And so for that particular investigation, we do feel that we had a very active session with Sarah Moore, the spirit of Sarah Moore. And the reason we say that is because we had two pieces of equipment. They're designed to measure electromagnetic energy. So if there's no power in this location, theoretically, these things should not go off, right? There, there's a light array on them, a, a green, it's it's not measuring any energy. If it spikes up to red, there's a large amount of energy. And just to put that into perspective, when I just took that meter around my house, the only thing that I could figure out that would spike it to red was the microwave on and a hairdryer on. So that's how much power this is measuring. So when we go to a location and we're sitting this pieces of equipment down in, in, in a void where there's no power, 
theoretically, they should not go off. So when we're talking to something or we're asking questions into the air, essentially, and we start getting spikes on our meters for no apparent reason, then that starts to build our curiosity that we could be communicating with something. So in this instance, back to the Velisca Axe murder house, we had two of these meters sitting side by side. One was gray and one was black. And we were asking it to asking the spirit to move to either the, the gray or the black one, depending on the answer to the question. And it was doing that. Again, if, if there's if there's any outside power acting on it, you would think that two meters sitting side by side would go off together simultaneously, but they weren't. So that is an indication that something could be acting upon it. And so to your point, very long-winded answer, when we ask questions specifically to a spirit, a lot of times we do get that response. Now, I think I meant to ask you this as as one of the first questions, but how did you get into this? Did you have a personal experience or are you someone like me that didn't really? I I seem to repel spirits. I'm I'm not sure. Or did you like love Supernatural and the (laughs) Winston? <laughs> yeah, you know, so my sisters and I were, were all extremely close. And, and, you know, we grew up watching the popular media shows, Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures and such. And we found ourselves asking, you know, why didn't they ask this question or why didn't they use this technique or why didn't they stay longer in this location? And we always said to ourselves, if we had the opportunity to go on a paranormal investigation, that we would jump at that chance. And we all come from a a research-minded background. So everybody on the team has an advanced degree. So example, I've got a PhD, my twin has a PhD, we have a master's holder and two JDs on the team. And so we come at this with a very open-minded but skeptic mindset, if that makes sense, a healthy skepticism. So we'll approach every investigation with, when we go in here, we're going to try to rule out everything that we can control for everything. So we come at that with a very research minded background. And so we had, like I said before, we had that opportunity to go to Moundsville, West Virginia and stay the night in the West Virginia state penitentiary. And we, again, went into that. It was very rudimentary investigation, but we went into it trying to explain away things that others had found. And we found that we just couldn't do that because, you know, when you're sitting in a cell block on a, on the second level, of a cell block and you know that you're the only people in this prison and yet you hear footsteps very audible footsteps running at you down this linoleum floor and yet nothing materializes that's extremely compelling and something that we can't explain and so that is really what got us into this it really propelled us forward into this paranormal investigation realm and I think that's why, you know, after checking out your website and and reading, which is an absolutely fabulous website, Thank we'll you. be posting links to it, but it, it's, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> and after checking it out and kind of reading that, I love that you guys do take it seriously. You're mm-hmm. not, because we all know that there's some shows that just, they drive you nuts because <laughs> it's just, you know, every five seconds, you know, what was that? And, and just shock value. But mm-hmm, I love that you guys took a much more serious approach um, well, thank you. in, in the way that you investigate. So I thought that was just awesome. Also well, thank the you. fact that you're all female team. That's, oh, it's just, yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> you know, it, it really is it, you know, not to disparage any co-ed team or, 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 or all male right, team, right. but we do feel that we get different responses than an all-male team or co-ed team would. And I think that's because, you you know, as females, we have an innate sense of empathy. And so when we go into these places, you know, if you, if you watch any of our videos, the, the, 
common theme throughout all of them is we say we want to tell your story. And that's exactly why we're doing this. You know, if any entity is there or any spirits there that want to tell their story to us, we're here to listen and get that story out. And when we, we find that we, if you go in with that mindset and respect them for the person that they were, you get a lot of responses from that. You know, for example, we're, we're very big on what we call trigger items. So like, for example, we went to Fort Mifflin, which is in Philadelphia. This is a revolutionary war fort. It, they, they held off the small band of revolutionaries held off the entire British armada. So George Washington could move his army out of Philadelphia. So this is an amazing location, but they had casemates, which were underground uh, subterranean uh, rooms where they held munitions. So they wouldn't, you know, uh, uh, go off or anything like that. And so one of those casemates, they transformed into a solitary confinement cell. So when we went there, we knew that one of the prisoners that was held in that cell was named William Howe. And so we thought to ourselves, what would somebody in solitary confinement want? So we took water, we took bread, and we took a cigarette. And so when we went down there and we said, these things, Mr. Howe, we're here for you. We want to communicate with you. These are things for you. We'll leave them for you. And we got a male's voice saying, thank you. It was audible. We all heard, uh, the two of us that were in the room at the time heard it. Everything that was, was recording picked up this voice. And we're seven feet underground. And there's nobody else in this room. I can confirm that. And so for me, again, that's that's unexplainable. But yet it really goes to the point of if you if you go in with an attitude of respect, I think it's more appreciated and spirits are more apt to, to speak with you. Sure. And that's what another thing I loved because every time um, you would in the different videos that I watched, well, I watched them all, but <laughs> oh, thank you. Anytime a spirit would, would respond, you know, using whatever device you had laid out, you know, you guys were always, you know, thank you. Mm-hmm. And, and then asking them to, to do it again, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's good. And I wonder too, as females, if we're just a little more patient too, mm-hmm. because yes. <laughs> I see so many that, you know, that, they expect them to, you ask a question and they're going to give it 10 seconds to, you know, hold up whatever device in the air. And if we don't hear anything, then we're going to move on to the next, (laughs) you know, the next thing. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right. You know, w- when you go into this, a lot of people, because they're only experienced to this, are the popular television shows such as Ghost Adventures or Ghost Hunters. You know, they, they really think that it's it's instant gratification, right? That you're sitting there, you go into a room, five seconds later, boom, you have a response and there's your episode. What a lot of people don't know is, is these shows, when they go to a location, they're filming for a week at a time, right? So they, and, and some of it is, I hate to say it, some of it is scripted, um, but they will go in and they they're there for a week. And so they can do take after take of, uh, and sitting in various rooms. When we go, you know, we're there for probably, you know, 12 to in some cases, 24 hours, but it is a lot of sitting in, you know, rooms for an hour, two hours at a time and just speaking into the air. So there is a lot of patience to this. And then after the investigation, then comes the review of everything that you had set out. So, you know, it usually takes us about a month from an investigation to actually getting a video produced because we're going through every piece of audio that we recorded and every piece of, of, uh, of a video that we recorded. So we just feel that it, that's what does the investigation justice. Absolutely. Cause yeah, you never know what you, (laughs) you might catch Mm -hmm. uh, later going through the review. I'm sure you're picked up, but you didn't hear. Yes. It happened to you. Exactly. You know, going back to Fort Mifflin in that same casemate where we communicated with William Howe, in that particular instance, there's one doorway in and out, right? So again, it's about seven feet underground. And we had a night vision video camera 
on the on the threshold of that door and right beside it we set a laser grid shining into the room with the idea being that if anything walked across the room it would cut off the the beams of the laser and that happened right so a shadow walked from right to left across the screen it cut off the laser grid all, all of the beams of the laser and you see it it's probably about a five foot tall shadow and it, that is extremely compelling because that's something that I can cannot explain because you know nothing stepped over that camera to cut off the right. beams so so to your point, if we hadn't watched all of that footage, we would have missed that. And so that is why we absolutely go through everything. It is intensive. It's it's a it's a task to do, but it's a lot of fun for us. You know, every time you do spot something like that yes. or you hear an EVP, it really just keeps you going. Do you have sort of favorite pieces of equipment or is there kind of, I'm curious, are there any types of equipment that you find that are popular but really are not reliable? Well, when we go to these investigations, we do have various pieces of what we call handheld equipment. Most of it is electronic. And for us, we really like to validate with another piece of equipment. So for example, if we hear something audibly, that's awesome. But if we can also ca capture it on those K2 meters or with the video camera, that just you know builds our case that there's something unexplainable going on. To answer your question, the very best tool that we have are our voice recorders. You know, we have 10 of those. We all carry one on our person because we feel that a voice or, or an EVP, an electronic voice phenomena, a voice that we can't explain is extremely compelling. Again, if, if I'm an all-female team, but yet I'm capturing a male's voice and I know that there's no male in the building, that's extremely difficult for me to explain. And so the, the voice recorders are our number one piece of equipment. If we had nothing else, that was what we would take. The K2 meters, that I mentioned. Again, they measure electromagnetic energy. Those, you know, some people go back and forth on those. We enjoy them because, again, if I'm in, a, in an area where there is no power and I know that we have nothing on our person that has power on, yet we get these things spiking, that's unexplainable. You know, that is something that is extremely compelling to us. So we use those K2 meters. We have a device called an EDI box. That's extremely useful because you put this down in an area and it measures vibration. It me measures pressure changes. It measures temperature changes. And it also has an electronic field meter in that as well. So that's a very popular device. Another device that we use is called the Spirit Box. This is a, sort of a controversial piece in the paranormal community. Basically what it is, it's a small AM FM radio that's been modified to very quickly sweep through AM and FM frequencies. So when you turn it on and you start sweeping, it sounds like as it's measure as it's going through these frequencies. The theory is that spirits can use the white noise between the frequencies to speak to us and communicate with us. Again, it's it's a somewhat controversial piece of equipment, but for us it's interesting because when we go to a location and we're capturing words that are germane to the situation, that's extremely compelling and something that I can't explain. For example, we're at the Ma Barker house in uh, Central Florida, and this is a location. This is a house. It sits on 40 acres by itself. There's no power Power to it. There's no water to it. You know, we weren't even getting any real radio stations coming through on the on the spirit box. And um, one of the gang members that was said to have frequented the house, his name was Alvin Carpus. And I had asked the question. I said, Alvin, are you here? And it said Alvin Carpus. And that was extremely interesting. Again, I can't explain that. I don't expect a radio station to be saying the name Alvin Carpus. Exactly. You know, the exact moment that I'm asking the spirit box to do that. So for us, that's a very interesting piece of equipment. 
doing. You know, we all wear body cameras, so we all have timestamps on on what we're doing. And uh, again, there's trigger items that we use. So that's really the extent of our arsenal. That's really cool. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting for sure. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard lots of just in different videos that I was watching, but with the spirit box that you you captured some stuff, but that one definitely <laughs> yeah <laughs> was you know anybody could hear that you know mm-hmm. so that that's really cool yeah that was again that was an interesting investigation you know another one of the spirit box items that we captured was we were up in the second floor room and this is was called the kill room and this is where ma and fred barker two members of the barker carpus gang were killed in 1935 by the fbi and so when we were there again jenny and i were the only two people in the, in the entire house on the entire property I asked the question, what happened in this room? And the spirit box said, they murdered us. We the ones dead. Now, again, if you're thinking about this thing sweeping through frequencies at a very rapid rate, you should never get a phrase. And so the fact that that phrase came through was extremely compelling. And it was what happened in the room. You know, they killed them in that room. So again, for us, the the spirit box is a very interesting piece of equipment. Oh, wow. (laughs) That'd be cool. (laughs) Yeah, that would be amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. So what, what location is like the farthest you visited? I would say Villisca, Iowa from Florida. We've also driven and we always drive to our investigations because I I really don't trust the airlines with my equipment. So we always drive to our investigations. We've been to Iowa. We've been to New York. We've been to Massachusetts. Last week we were in Ohio um, in West Virginia. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much the, the longest distance we're due to go out to, uh, Las Cruces, New Mexico in October. So that'll be a lot of fun. And we're still hoping to get out to California at some point. And then we've got a lot of international locations on our bucket list too. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any like Scotland, Ireland? Yes. Leap Castle in Ireland is number one on my bucket list. And then the Monte Cristo plantation in, in Australia. I'd love to get to that location as well. Wow. Mm-hmm. Is that like your dream investigation? The Leap Castle is, yes. Okay. Uh, I've actually, like I've actually, <laughs> it is. That's number one on, on our bucket list. The Monte Cristo, I've actually been there, but this was well before we started paranormal investigations. We were yeah. just there as tourists, but it's a very interesting place uh, just to get out to Australia. There's a lot of places that we'd like to go out there. But even here in the United States, you know, there's, there's just so many locations that aren't really quote unquote commercialized, like a Lizzie Borden house or the, the Velisca murder house. Just these smaller locations that we find are just fascinating and, and just have a history that not a lot of people know about. You know, for example, back to the Mom Barker house. You know, this was a location that is in Oklahoma, Florida, which is as small as it sounds. Um, it is literally a one street light town. But in 1935, this was this had the national spotlight on it because J. Edgar Hoover and his 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 flying squad were there and they killed two members of the Barker Carpus gang, which was the most prolific gang during the 1920s, 1920s, early 1930s. And so to find that and and even members of, of the public there, you know, when we did that invest, and that's where we're from, we're, we're from that county. So we grew up knowing the history of that house. But when we did the investigation, you know, the newspaper did an article on us. We did some stuff with the county to really highlight our investigation there. And I can't tell you how many people came up to us, long citizens of Marion County came up and said, we never even knew this was here. Never even knew oh, wow. that this existed in, or any of this happened 
in our town's history and finding places like that and bringing that historical significance to the forefront is really what we love to do. You know, if we yeah. can highlight that and maybe help preserve these locations by getting tourist dollars to them or, or getting funding for them, if we can do that, then we really feel that that's what our job is. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I love that. Cause yeah, when you, when you had mentioned that when we first were, were sort of chatting back and forth, I thought, I don't know anything about, you know, about this. So it was fascinating to read about, but that that's interesting that in such a small community that, that they weren't aware either. Mm -hmm. So, and I love that you do that because it just breaks my heart when, you know, when even locals start to lose those, you know, memories of, of just, Nobody's telling those nobody's stories. telling those stories anymore. And that's, you know, part of what Megan and I love to do with this Pope this podcast. This podcast. <laughs> I was about to say, um, I was trying to lead into about folklore. Yes, there you go. <laughs> and so it's just to keep those those oral traditions and those stories and all those, you know, tales alive mm -hmm. because it's just nobody, you know. Nobody yeah. seems to care as much anymore, but uh, there's some fascinating stuff in everybody's backyard. <laughs> there absolutely is, you know, and, and the interesting thing is, is I, like I said before, I love spending time in libraries. I love, again, just going to physically find articles and stuff about this. You know, when I was researching for the Ma Barker house for the video, you know, I was using microfiche and, and. People are like, well, you went what back to that? Mind? And I'm like, yes. Yeah. So, you know, just again, just scrolling through and finding those articles and and really bringing that to the forefront is, like I said, just it, it's fascinating to us. And to be able to share that with our audience is just that is really what we love to do. Oh, that's wonderful. And I bet, you know, a lot of the historical societies, if you use those in local areas uh, for research, they're mm -hmm. just such a wealth of information and the, the people there. And that's another, you know, thing that's just kind of dying out. And I mm -hmm. hate that because it's, it's fascinating, you know, and just the, the items that they have in, in anybody's, you know, local historical society, it will, it will blow your mind, mm -hmm. the things in your, your little town that you uh, never would have imagined. And that's exactly right. You know, when we go to these places, like when we went to Villisca or we went to Fall River, Massachusetts, we go to the historical societies, we, we go to the museums, we, you know, we visit, we actually visit the cemeteries as well, you know, to get just a feel of what that's like, you know, anything that we can do to help enhance our narrative of, of the location and our narrative of the historical significance of that location. That is absolutely what we love to do. Just doing that deep dive, that, that historical research and that deep dive into those locations and the history behind them is again, just fascinating for us. I, I can spend hours just looking through old archives and looking through newspapers. And then, you know, you find something else that leads you down another historical rabbit hole and you're yes. like, Holy smokes. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that has really yeah. been the highlight of this, you know, even though we're paranormal investigators, it really is secondary to, again, just experiencing the things that we've gotten to experience on a historical level. And then, you know, again, bringing that story to the forefront, because I can't tell you how many people watch our videos and will contact me and say, I never knew that. I never, I never heard about that. I never knew that. That's an interesting twist. And, and if, again, if that's something that we can highlight, that's just, I love doing that. This is probably a question that you get a lot. I think any of us that are interested in the paranormal will get this question a lot, but I'm, I'm interested to see, I think your, your answer would probably be, <laughs> uh, be more, more thoughtful. So why does it always seem like a place has to be at least a hundred years old before there is a spirit there? 
Do you have any good <laughs> answer for that when people ask, you know, <laughs> those of us interested? <laughs> My answer is it doesn't, you know, and, and I'll bring it back to a personal experience that I had in uh, 2016. My Nana actually had an accident. My grandmother had an accident and uh, she, she went into hospice and she never really recovered from that. So she was in hospice for about five weeks. And just to digress just for a minute about three weeks before she had her accident, I had an extremely vivid dream that my granddaddy who passed in 1986, he came to me in the dream and it was the most vivid dream I've ever had. I can tell you how he smelled. I can tell you what he was wearing, what he was standing, where he was standing. It was actually in a house that that he and my, my grandmother shared. And in the dream, he looked at me and he said, I'm waiting for your Nana. You're going to be getting a call soon. So again, about two weeks later, she had her accident. She went into hospice. And when she passed, about three hours after she passed, I looked at my sister and I said, I know where she's going. She's going to meet granddaddy in the spot where I had that dream. And uh, so I got permission from my family we took those K2 meters that I mentioned earlier and we went to this to the house and I stood in the spot that was depicted in the dream and all the power had been turned off because she had been in hospice for about five weeks and um, so the house was vacant it was just Jenny and I in there and we had that gray and that black K2 meter and I said Nana are you here and both of the K2 meters went off and I said to confirm that you're here can you just light up the gray meter, not the black meter? The gray meter went off. And I said, can you do it again just to go to the black meter? And she just went to the black meter. And um, so through a series of questions, we were able to determine what I felt was that she and granddaddy had met up. And from there, they moved on to whatever's next. I'm a Christian, so I'll call it heaven. So they, after that, they moved on. They ascended to heaven. So we went back just, just to verify all of this. We went back about a week later, did the exact same experiment in the exact same spot and didn't get anything. Not a, not a blip, not a feeling, not a sound, nothing. And so for me, that was validation, personal validation that we were able to communicate with her. And that was about three hours after she had passed. So that's typically the story that I give, but you know, it, when you go back to historically to some of these locations, a lot of the places that people are investigating do have that longevity right there. They've been there for a hundred years or 200 years. So it's, it's, you know, quite apparent that you would be talking to a spirit from that, from that era, but we've gone to locations that have closed down in two, I mean, Brushy Mountain closed down in 2009. And we had some great experiences in Brushy Mountain. And those were people that were, were there, you know, quite relatively recently. So it doesn't have to be spirits from the hundreds or a hundred years ago, but it, it seems like a lot of paranormal investigators try to reach out to those spirits when, you know, I, I think there's, you get spirits from, or, or from, from all, uh, you know, time periods right. recently or, or past. So. Do you believe that there's residual hauntings and then an intelligent hauntings? I do. And what do you, what are your <clears throat> takes on those? I do. So for a residual haunting, how I would describe that is if you know, if you have a record, right, just a, a, a record and you put it on and you have, it's running around and there's a blip in the record. So every time the needle hits that record, it's going to scratch, right? It's going to, you, you have a, it, so essentially it's a blip in the record. A residual haunting is in my mind, a blip in time. And it's something that is, will repeat itself. So for example, when go back to the Ma Barker investigation, the 
the way we set up that investigation was I wanted to be there on the anniversary of the shootout. So the, the shootout happened January 16th, 1935. So we went in January 15th and we put stationary equipment in the house and we set it all up in the house and we left it alone, right? We locked the house, we left the property and we left all of that equipment to run from the evening of January 15th to the morning of January 16th, which would have encompassed the hours of the shootout 83 years prior. So when we went back and we listened to the audio from that, all that stationary equipment, again, left alone by itself at about 530 in the morning, uh, which would have been on January 16th, which 83 years ago, that's about when the, the shootout started. We captured two EVPs. The first one said, Freddie. The second one said, yeah, ma. The first one said, get ready. To me, that's a residual haunting. I don't think it's intelligent. I think it's a blip in time that will always happen if somebody's listening for it. So that I believe that is what is exactly what was said January 16th, 1935. Now, when we go to another investigation, say Hales Bar Dam, this is a dam in, in Tennessee. It has a series of tunnels that run underneath it. We're just, Jenny and I are sitting in these in this tunnel system and we have voice recorders, you know, in various parts of the tunnel. And I said, what is your name? I, we didn't hear any audible response. I said, can you say my name? Both of us heard Christy. And when we went back and listened to the audio, when I asked the first question, what is your name? We got the name Hank. It was on the audio, but we didn't hear it in the moment. When, when I asked what was what is my name, we captured the word Christy that we both heard in the moment. That to me is intelligent. It's intelligent. It knows that I'm asking questions and it knows how to respond to those questions. It knew my name and it responded when I asked it to. So that is an example of an intelligent haunting. That is the best description of those two things that I have ever heard. <laughs> no, that was, that was wonderful. So well, do you think this is just something I've always, you know, maybe I've talked about a lot. Does it take, do you think it takes them time to develop the skill to, to be able to, to be intelligent as we would call it to, to be able to react like that? I don't think so. I don't think so. And and because I, I say that because I'll go back to the to the Nana example, right? You know, when I when we asked her to light up these meters, it happened, right? And, you know, again, you can believe whether or not you want to. I believe that that it was Nana trying to communicate with me and she did it because she knew that the energy was going to set these meters off. I, 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 I don't think that it takes time to develop that skill per se, if you're a spirit, I just think that it's, it's, it's kind of like a, a, a human response, right? What is your name? My name is Hank. What is my name? Christy. I think it's just an, a, a response. A some of the locations that we go to have a lot of paranormal investigators that come in day in and day out right. using the same type of tools. So that may be something that they've learned over time, especially if it's an entity that is from the, you know, the early 1900s, late 1800s or, or further back in time. You know, it's interesting that, and you, you kind of have to really gauge your investigation, right? So a lot of spirits might not know what a flashlight is if they were back in the uh -huh. early 1800s, but if you say lantern, then they know, okay, this is what's going to happen. If I, if I touch this lantern, it, sh it should light up. So you really have to be mindful when you're going to an investigation of, of, it may sound weird, but knowing your audience, right? The questions that I ask at the Velisca Axe Murder House from 1912 are going to be much different than what I ask at Brushy Mountain, which closed in 2009. So again, you just really have to know your environment and, and really form your, quest your questions based on that. 
It goes back to how thoughtful, you know, that you guys are when you do your, your investigations, which mm -hmm. is, which is amazing and a little out of the norm. So that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> which, um, what location did you feel the most unwelcome? I would say probably Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary, as well as West Virginia State Penitentiary. And not so much that we weren't welcome, but it, and I, and I don't want to say dark in a demonic sense, but you, in those locations, they're prisons, right? So yeah. their, their entire existence is depression, right? You, you go into these locations, a lot of prisoners are not going to be happy, go lucky right. blokes in these, in these locations, right? So the, automatically the walls of those locations are darker in and of themselves. They, they housed a different energy. And so when we go to those locations, it is, it is a bit darker, especially for an all female team, you know, because you, oh. you go into what is typically an all male environment mm -hmm. in those prisons and in those penitentiaries. So I'd say that those locations were the ones where, the, the energy is different than what we would experience somewhere else. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good question. That's good to know too, though. That's good to know because West Virginia is one place we've discussed going. So it's fascinating. I, you know, I, I absolutely love West Virginia state penitentiary. It, it's interesting because we actually have a familial connection there. Our grandpa was a prison guard at West Virginia state penitentiary oh. before he became chief of police of uh, Glendale, West Virginia. Okay. And uh, so to go in there and, and be there in, in, in a location where he was a prison guard was, was very fascinating, but we've been there several times. I highly recommend going. It's, it's a very cool experience. Yeah. I think uh, trans Allegheny is, mm -hmm the yeah yeah so, in weston okay. that trans allegheny yeah. lunatic asylum that is a very interesting location as well you know this was a, a location that was built in 1864 it was in operation until 1994 and um it's this the first thing you notice about it is its size. You know, when you see these places on television, you get this one feeling about it. But when you roll up on it and you just see the, the grandeur of this location, it's a beautiful building. It's a beautiful location. But then you, you realize what happened there. It was when it was built, it was actually built to house only 250 patients. By the time it closed, they were, they housed 2,500 patients. Yeah, so yeah. immense overcrowding, you know, it started out as a location where there was going to be therapy and, you know, right. hands-on help for the patients. But yeah. by the end, it was really almost a, a place of torture, right? You've got yeah. lobotomies, you've got shock treatments, you've got cold water bath treatments. And so again, yeah. you walk into this location and the walls just feel different because of what they experienced. And I think that energy is really, is really held by those walls. And so to walk down these long corridors and which take right and left turns and you just see all of these rooms and know that in these rooms were housed women, mostly women, women and children. It, it was, it's, it's a surreal experience. It was a great investigation for us. We had a lot of interaction with two child spirits in that location, which was kind of interesting, but it's also the, the location where we caught the loudest disembodied scream we've ever heard in any of our investigations. We all heard it in the moment. Every piece of audio equipment that we had running in the prison or in that location that night caught that scream. It was very compelling. Wow. We talked about that one on, was it like our third mm -hmm. episode, something like yeah. that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's escaped me, but the we did talk the facility about the in Louisville. Oh, we did talk about that one too, that I can't think of the name of. Right Waverly? Now. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. Waverly, <laughs> Waverly Hills. Yes. Yes. 
Have you, you haven't been there yet, have you? No, we've not been to Waverly. Waverly is interesting. It's one of those that on January 1st, it opens its calendar for the year. And if if you're not on that calendar, it's like buying Super Bowl tickets, right? If you're not on that calendar hitting the right spot, you, you kind of go to the back of the line and not get any. So we haven't had the opportunity to go to Waverly yet. I know a lot of people who have worked there, who have visited there, and, and they, everybody says it's a fascinating experience, but um, we've not had the opportunity yet. Gotcha. It's good to know. And so I know that you also, you do private homes and businesses <laughs> for people. Do you find, what is their usually like a private homeowner? What is usually their motivation for, for contacting you? Is it sort of to confirm what they might already know or <laughs> what are they looking for? Honestly, the, the way I answer that is they're looking for validation that they're not crazy. Yeah, um, almost. Yeah, almost to an email or a phone call or a text. Almost every single one starts out with don't think I'm crazy, but this, 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 right. this happens, this happens, this happens. Yeah. So a lot of it is validation that they're not crazy. And, you know, the first thing that we always say is, listen, I, I do not believe you're crazy. You are you are absolutely experiencing something. You know what that is? Let's figure it out. And, a, a, you know, a majority of the time, I'd say probably about 80% of the time when we go on on uh, private investigations for a homeowner or a business owner, it can be explained away by environmental factors, right? Oh, wow. Things that they just don't even think about. For example, we were called into a business. The gentleman said uh, it's a brick and mortar location. And, and he said, I'm convinced that it's haunted. I, I just I just mo- uh, rented the space set up. I've only been here a few weeks. I know it's haunted. Can you please come and do this investigation? So when we go there, it, it's kind of it, it's a longer unit, right? It's not so wide, but it's longer. It's all glass storefront. It's got some mirrors running down the side. And then he had display cases that were there. And then he had these night vision video cameras set up. So we, we went in, we, we took everything that we had. We weren't feeling anything. Our equipment wasn't picking up on anything. We stayed for about four hours. So we left our night vision video cameras in different places throughout the night. And then we left. So we left all of those to run. And so when I called him the next morning, I said, you know, did your cameras go off? And he's like, oh yeah, it was a very active night. And I said, well, you know, we'll collect our cameras and we'll cross, give me the timestamps and we're going to cross reference. And so when we did that, what we found is the way the building is positioned was it's a storefront that faces a road and there's a very high U-turn traffic. And so when a car would make a U-turn, the headlights would bounce into this building, hit the mirrors and essentially blind his night vision video cameras. And so he perceived that as paranormal because something was messing with his cameras, but he couldn't see the headlights. And so I told him that every time your camera, you're perceiving something going on with your camera, my camera is picking up this headlight. And so I think if you either move the mirror or the camera, your your activity will stop and it did. So that's the kind of stuff that we really go in and look for first. Now we have had instances where there are things that we can't explain. And then in those instances, we'll talk to the homeowner or the business owner, find out what they want to do option wise. A lot of people just think, hey, it's cool that I live in a haunted house. Thank you for coming out. Right. If they do for some reason want the entity removed, we have people that we call in a, a priest or a demonologist that will help us with that case. It's not something that we actually do personally. We call in help at that point. Gotcha. Nobody told me on career day about demonologists. <laughs> 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 
Do you guys ever work with someone that's a, a medium or something along those lines when you go to investigate a place? We haven't yet. At some point, we will probably invite one to come along either before or after our investigation, and we won't talk in between to see if they can validate some of the things that, that we've picked up on or that we've we've found. But honestly, we, we've not done that yet, no. Okay. I was curious. Uh, Megan knows I have to ask her about my my house. Ask her about the, the silverware. So since 2013, my forks only disappear we have, I had very nice set, cutlery set that I had gotten for Christmas. And I still have the knives and the spoons, but the forks are gone. And since then, we have bought, so, now we just buy Walmart. And we just go to Walmart and just get the forks, you know, mm -hmm. the box of just forks. Okay. And it's, it's so bizarre because... <laughs> It's not like, you know, I have 10 or whatever in the dishwasher and then I go to get them and there's only five. It, it, mm -hmm. You know, it's not like that. It just we get to a point where we're like, we've got to go deep into the pantry and get more fresh round of forks. <laughs> That's fascinating. Well, uh, what you could do is ask for them back. Just say, you know, I'm not sure what you're doing with the forks. We're getting tired of buying the forks. Could you just return some of them to the drawer at some point whenever you're done and see what happens? Oh, yeah, you, 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 and, and you, I, you phrased it similar, but not exactly. Similar. Like, can you return the forks? I'm pretty sure you. I, I basically have said if you could, if you literally only returned the Robert Morris forks, <laughs> that's the nice heavy ones. You can tell the difference. <laughs> I will be ecstatic. <laughs> But well, yeah. now see now they know you're fork biased, so you just oh, gotta ask for all. Yeah, you just gotta oh. ask ask for all the forks back. Okay, <laughs> and, you know, but I've told Megan and I've told some others too. At this point, it's almost one of those things where I'm not sure if if I would be more freaked out if I just went downstairs <laughs> to do laundry one day or whatever, and there's I don't even know how many this pile would be <laughs> at this point. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that is uh, fascinating. It's, it's rather intense. It's it's um it's, it's oh you'll have else. to let me know when you find them and or they're returned because I'll, this is a fascinating story. I will have to uh, <laughs> take your advice. I will say and I did have one lady tell me that Probably, even if I don't mean to, I'm sounding irritated, which I am. Oh, so I yeah. think, or maybe I, it comes across as sarcastic because usually when I think to like to do that, it's because I've gone and we, you know, we're down to like three forks and none of them are clean, you know, and then it hits me and I'm like, will you please return the forks? You know? <laughs> so to be fair, that may, they may think, you know, lady, until you can ask nicely. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But, uh, uh, but yeah, that's been our interesting, you know, <laughs> well, it, it, in our home. that is absolutely fascinating. And again, I, I'd love to know if they're returned or you find them at some point along the, the same line, similar, similar story. My friend Miranda Young and I, She's actually another paranormal investigator. She's known as the Ghost Biker from Ghost Biker Explorations. And she and I have teamed up and we're actually opening a new location, a new haunted location in Huntsville, Tennessee. And so this is, we actually uh, have a jail. It was built in 1904. And uh, so we're going to open it to private paranormal investigations as well as public tours. And uh, so for the last three or four weeks, we've been cleaning the heck out of this sucker. And uh, so that it's three stories. 
And um, so Miranda was on the second floor and she was in the kitchen. And so she was, uh, she had the shop vac underneath this little shelf that used to be used as a dumbwaiter. And um, so she just run in the shop vac like a crazy person through the, this, this shelf and a razor blade that had been stuck up under there fell out. So I'm sure it was some type of contraband, right? That a prisoner had stuck up under there. So I wasn't in there at the time and uh, I was out doing something. And so she called me she said I found this razor blade and I said well just put it there I want to see it when I come back and so I came back and uh we went upstairs and the razor blade was gone she's like I put it right here I'm like well I don't know I don't it's not here I don't know what to tell you so then later on that same day she again we're still cleaning because it's a three-story jail and she said she radioed down she's like where'd you put the scissors and I said it's on the second floor with the cleaning supply we had just bought these scissors from Ace and uh, she said they're not here I said Miranda I left them right upstairs with the cleaning supplies there's no scissors here so I walked up no scissors can't find the scissors anywhere still have not found these scissors and then about a week later she was upstairs using a paint scraper she again she was on the second floor because we had already cleaned the third floor so we're moving down so she's using a paint scraper and she goes to do something she comes back and the paint scraper is gone and she said uh she finally just said whoever is taking our stuff you can have the razor blade and the scissors i need the paint scraper so she just went upstairs the third floor for something and there was the paint scraper and we had not gone up to the third floor because we had already cleaned that and we're working our way down so something is moving any sharp object that we have in this place and it's quite interesting to watch this saga unfold but same thing with your forks that is interesting because yeah what lady I had talked to, she said, you know, that they generally a shiny object, no matter what it is, that's going to be something that you'll notice will, will be the thing to disappear. So jewelry, any like very, you know, I'd say loud jewelry, but you know what I mean when I say that. Um, The costume, that's a much better way of putting that. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So she said, you know, that kind of thing. And she said, sometimes you can bargain back and forth with like, and that sounds exactly like uh, a bargain. Yeah. 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 Just, (laughs) just, you know, and to you, take some spoons. Here's some spoons. I'll leave them right here. I just need five forks. Just give me five forks. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I'm having some guests over. Can we have five forks, please? Yeah. Can we have the nice forks, please? <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. I love hearing that. I'm not alone. You're, you're not alone. You're not alone. Good thought to try. It is. No, I think I'm definitely going to try yeah. that. I will report back. <laughs> so I think we've just got maybe one more question. What do you have planned? Well, besides apparently opening up for tours, what do you have planned for the rest of the year? Well, we, we're actually extremely busy. We just got back from a trip from uh, Ohio where we investigated Post Town Elementary. Fascinating location. And then my sister and I went to Twinsburg, Ohio for the Twins Day Festival because, you know, we're <laughs> twins. But for the rest of the year, we will be opening, again, the old historic Huntsville County, or historic Scott County Jail in Huntsville, Tennessee. We're having our grand opening on September 4th. And then we'll be opening it up to, again, paranormal tours, historic tours. We'll be doing ghost walks of the town as well and other giving other historical tours throughout the town as well as in the jail and then uh, Las Cruces New Mexico will be going out there for a paracon the first weekend in October so I'll be speaking uh, on Saturday and Sunday I think it's the second or the third or the third and the fourth one of those two so the first weekend in October we'll be out there and then uh, we've got several things planned in October and that really kind of rounds out our year but then we've got several investigations already lined up for uh, 2022. Wow. That's awesome. That is awesome. 
That's pretty awesome. So do you have any websites or for your, for the new, the jail that's going to be opening or will that be on Soul Sisters website? <laughs> I'll let you give all of your, your website, thing. social medias, all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as I said before, the Historic Scott County Jail is a collaboration um, with Miranda Young. She is the ghost biker, but we are Soul Sisters. We're going to keep those two entities separate, but we've formed the Historic Scott County Jail. And uh, the website for that is www.historicscott.com cojail.com so for historic scott county jail.com and all of our information's there all the events that we're going to have uh, we have a very extensive calendar you can book a paranormal investigation there so just visit that website as for soul sisters www.soulsistersparanormal.com all of our investigations are on there any videos that you want to watch of ours is on there we also have a spin-off what i call a spin-off series called landmarks legends and lore where we talk more about historical locations rather than a paranormal investigation but we give either landmarks, legends, or lore about specific locations. So that's on our website. We're also very active on Facebook under Soul Sisters Paranormal and on our YouTube channel under Soul Sisters Paranormal. Wonderful. That's awesome. And we're going to have links to, to help everyone out too to find it easy. But that is great. I don't think I, I checked see- out the legends and lore part. But yeah, I was thinking no wonder you guys got connected. Yes. Because we- yeah, we love, we've talked like <laughs> our previous one episode we've talked about is like the legend of the Kraken, like where they oh, came cool. from and yeah. you know, things like that. That was one that we haven't released yet. Yeah, but you, know, you haven't released different. the Kraken. I, I, know, I, I was gonna let it go. I'm so you glad can't it let that go. On. <laughs> you can't let that go. That, yeah, I mean, was, she, be... that was a softball, and now no, it is a I home gave run. It to you. I opened the door. <laughs> I opened the door, you walked right through it. So, yeah. Oh my goodness, I love it. But yeah, but yeah, yeah, we love, we look out, we look for some of the more obscure, definitely would be obscure to Americans, but from folklore and legends oh, from fun. around the world. As we would get a new listener from another country, we would find research, something. we would find something that hopefully maybe, you know, they didn't even know about. So yeah, we, we absolutely love love that and keeping everything alive so that's well, great well thanks yeah the the landmark legends and lore one it kind of came about because i wanted something that is was very localized that certain people might you know that the country might not know about so for example the first one of the first ones that i did was haunted cemeteries haunting cemeteries yeah. and so i looked at five different cemeteries from across the country that had a, a really unique story behind them or a unique headstone or something like that we've done haunting bridges the last one that i just uh, produced was Haunting Aviation and that looked at five air, airplane crashes and the hauntings behind them. So d- different things like that. Yeah. Oh, well, that's cool. I hope uh, you might be up for us doing another chat, maybe focus on, on that, on some legends and lore. I think that would be fun. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If you go to our website on the videos tab, just scroll down and under all of our investigations is Landmarks, Legends and Lore. Okay. Awesome. And and if you guys are ever up for an investigation, let me know. You guys can oh, come we, along. Oh, we will be at some point. Yes. We yeah. are. You may wish that I had never found you. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but no, that would be wonderful. That's a definite dream of ours uh, is to, to be go. able to get to yeah. do that. So yeah. we would love, we'd be honored actually, uh, honestly, to to be able to do that with you guys with Soul Sisters. So and you're absolutely more you than so much welcome. for your time. Yeah, too. sure. Thank sure. And thank you both for the support. I, I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed your time with us. Follow Mavens of Misdeeds on Instagram and Facebook, or just email us at mavensofmisdeeds at gmail.com. Until next time, remember to 
Creep It Real.